0: Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. There are times when unbelief just seems to take over our soul. When doubt assails us. When we don't know how to even begin to talk about what our soul is doing. That happened with Mary and Martha. They had sent a message asking that Jesus would come, knowing that if Jesus came, he would heal their brother. But Jesus didn't come. We spoke yesterday about this story in John The 11th chapter. I want to go more deeply into this issue of unbelief because it's right at the very crux of so many of us as we struggle to understand what's happening in our world how do we face the reality of of loss of not being able to move forward, of just being entrapped. How do we face this? Well, Jesus comes. And as Jesus comes, Martha first hears the word that the master has come. Lazarus is dead. And Martha says to Jesus, "'If you had been here, my brother would not have died. "'But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask.'" Oh, I love this response. On one side she's saying, "'Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. "'If you'd come more quickly, my brother would not have died.'" So in a sense, she is saying, don't you care, Jesus? Have you ever said that? Have you ever said, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care about what's happening in my life? It's out of control. What do I do with this? Jesus, help me. Then she says something that absolutely warms my heart. Listen, but I know that even now, I know in the face of my brother's death, I know God will give you whatever you ask. So Martha would not turn in unbelief from Jesus. She was upset that he had not come. She was desperately broken because her precious brother had died. But in the face of that, she says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus responds to this incredible demonstration of faith by saying, your brother will rise again. And Martha retreats to her theological knowledge, as we often do. Oh, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus, what about now? What about now? Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who came into the world. But she can't connect this to what Jesus is actually saying. She totally misses it. Jesus is going to resurrect her brother now. And then, Mary comes. She falls at his feet. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Oh, how many times they've said to each other, Oh, if Jesus just gets here in time, Lazarus will be all right. If Jesus just comes in time, How many times have you in your life been against that timeline? If Jesus doesn't come by this time, if he doesn't come by this time, all is lost. If he doesn't come, oh, he'll come. And he doesn't come. And it looks like all is lost. Jesus is deeply moved. He is deeply troubled by their pain. The Jews are saying, look, why couldn't he come and why couldn't he heal? Well, he could. So what's the issue? What's going on here? Well, we've got to go back and then we'll go to some other scriptures. But what's going on here? In the 11th chapter, he said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. There was something else going on here. Jesus was letting this man die so that in the resurrection, all unbelief could be removed the last vestiges of unbelief from his disciples' heart. That they could finally believe. Always with Jesus the issue is, will you believe? Verse 14, So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, that is his disciples' sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Believe. Not intellectually believe, but believe in a deep inner way where all is laid on the line and all trust is put in Jesus, where there is no wavering, where the deadline comes and you say, I believe it's in Jesus' hands. And the worst can happen. But I believe. When my late wife lay dying in my arms, as the cancer finally took her last breath, I was faced with whether I could believe, after I believed that Jesus had promised he would come before she died. And there was to be no resurrection then. Could I trust God when all seemed to be lost? No, could I trust God when everything was lost? It took me some time to answer that question. I died when she died. And it's been a process of coming back to life. But what has given me the courage to come back to life is the absolute certainty that I can trust Jesus. There was still, after all of this time with the disciples, there was still a part of their heart that did not entrust themselves into the hand of jesus and he needed to do something that would be so spectacular so powerful that it would carry the disciples through the crucifixion time that they would not turn in unbelief they would not understand they would all flee, but there was a deep, deep mark put in their soul. I don't understand, but I believe. I don't understand what's happening, but I'm going to trust that Jesus knows what he's talking about. Have you faced that? Do you face that today? Do you understand what I'm talking about here? I face several situations right now where everything seems utterly lost, hopeless. I can't change them. I can't change the circumstances around them. And I've had to decide again. No, I've had to affirm again. God is working outside of me to bring to pass all that he has promised me. And even if all appears to be lost, I am putting my trust in my Lord Jesus. As Martha said, I know that God will give to you whatever you ask. I know that I can trust my Lord. Now when Lazarus was raised from the dead, Jesus stood outside of that tomb, and he said, Lazarus, come out. It's a good thing he said Lazarus, or every dead person in that cemetery would have come out at the same time. But it was only Lazarus who was being summoned And the dead man came out, wrapped in his grave clothes. And Jesus said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Take off the grave clothes. I'm waiting for Jesus to say to me, Ray, come out, because there are still parts of my life that are dead. Are there parts of your life that are dead where you don't know how to handle it, where it looks impossible, it looks utterly hopeless? Jesus specializes in those situations where everything seems utterly hopeless. And in the face of that, he expects us, nay, he asks us, Will you just believe in me? Will you trust me? Part of what I have learned in this journey is that the miracles of God sometimes don't come anywhere close to what I can touch. But instead, the miracles of God begin to happen outside of me, beyond my touch in response to my cries for deliverance in response to my my prayers and sometimes in my prayer life I will pray oh Holy Spirit I don't know how to pray about this as I ought to But I ask, Holy Spirit, would you intercede with the Father for me? Would you pray for me, Holy Spirit of the living God? Because we're told in Romans that he intercedes. That we don't know how to pray as we ought. And we see things begin to happen around us that we have no clue. What prompted that? Prayers of the Holy Spirit. Oh, yes. Jesus prays for us. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. We can trust him. We can trust what he's doing in our lives. Now I want to shift for a moment. We could go to Mark or we could go to John. I prefer the passage in John, the 12th chapter. Probably about two months after Lazarus had been raised from the dead. That's what some scholars believe it was probably about two months. Six days before the Passover feast, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived oh I love this it does not say six days before the Passover Jesus came to Bethlehem where Lazarus was buried where Lazarus was in the tomb no Lazarus was alive whom Jesus had raised from the dead and now a dinner is going to be given in Jesus honor Martha is serving that's what Martha likes to do she wants to serve everyone is seated around or reclining around that table area and there's this wonderful note in the scriptures Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him not Lazarus is laying in a cold tomb and we're going to talk about him. No, this was, a, this was a feast in honor of Jesus for what he had done for them in raising Lazarus from the dead. And suddenly, in the midst of this feast, Mary comes in. Now, probably only men were reclining around this table. Martha was scurrying around, making sure that everybody had the right amount of food and drink and everything was taken care of. But Mary came in. You have to love Mary. Her heart is so tender and so clean before God. Her heart is so utterly given to Jesus. She knows that he is God, that he is the Messiah, that he is the promised one. And she brings with her a pint of pure nard, a very, very expensive perfume, probably worth a year's salary. And she pours it on his feet. And other passages tell us she anointed his head with this spikenard. And with her hair, she begins to wipe Jesus' feet. The tears mingle with the oils as she kisses his feet, weeps over them, heart, Moved beyond compassion. Her heart moved with just inexorable love. It's not enough for Mary to say, Jesus, I love you. When we believe in Jesus, this inexorable love begins to enter into our heart and the joy of the Lord fills our being There are times when I just sit in the prayer closet and I weep. The tears flow down my face in adoration and love for Jesus. For the privilege of believing in Him. For the privilege of walking with Him. For the privilege of watching as He moves mountains off my head. As He releases me from the captivity of the demonic darkness as he shines his glorious light into my soul, all I can do is weep because there's nothing that I could have done to have deserved his love. There's nothing that I could have done or said that deserved the outpouring of his wonderful Holy Spirit the only answer is adoration. The only answer is worship. The only answer is giving him the most expensive thing I possess, giving him my all, and giving it cheerfully, giving it with with great joy and exuberance, and now Jesus, she rece- he receives her love. He doesn't push her away. He's not embarrassed. What's everybody else think? We don't know. If this is the feast where Simon the leper was there, we know that he's saying in his heart, now why is Jesus letting this go on? I don't know where it was. But in the midst of this adoration, in the midst of this praise, in the midst of this incredible demonstration, public demonstration of love and adoration for Jesus, this, this, how do I say it? This love poured out without inhibition. No personal pride to block this giving of oneself utterly in devotion and love to Jesus. In the midst of all of this, one of the disciples speaks up. Judas Iscariot, who was to betray him, and he objected. He said, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was the keeper of the money bag. And he used to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus speaks up in a manner we do not normally hear him say this. Leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. I love Jesus for not exposing Judas Iscariot. He could have exposed Judas right there and said, Judas, I know you've been stealing from the money bag. This is not about this is not about the poor this is about your own lust for money and power Jesus did not rebuke in that manner he did not unveil the heart of Judas why i think probably because he still desired to save Judas's soul from perdition now a large crowd of Jews that is people from galilee or from judea from jerusalem a large crowd of Jews found out that jesus was there and they came not only because of him but also to see lazarus whom he had raised from the dead You know, we have to be raised from the dead. We have to be transformed into life before a crowd will come to see the fire burning. The chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus because on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. This question of believing is so, so vital to us. In Hebrews, the third chapter, verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me. For 40 years, they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray. That is, their hearts are always turning to unbelief and to doubt. And then that leads them into wickedness and sin. Always unbelief and doubt leads us into wickedness. That's where we see what I spoke of yesterday, the pride and the envy and the anger. They all arise out of unbelief in Jesus. So I declared on oath in my anger, They shall never enter my rest. Rest coming from the word, a place to repose. Literally, they shall never enter my bedroom. In other words, they will never be intimate with me, nor I with them. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end, as it has been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Jesus knew as he was coming to his disciples, coming to Jerusalem for the final crucifixion and resurrection, that his disciples needed to have a demonstration, a spectacular demonstration of his power so that they would have no doubt in their heart that he was the Messiah. Now, they wouldn't understand all that was going to happen, and seldom do I understand what's happening. But I have a fixed understanding in my heart that live or die, I belong to Jesus. Live or die, I have my entire trust in Jesus Christ. I will no longer try to produce for myself. The philosophies of the world are all about ambition, creating success, the desire, being somebody, being a man of great influence and power. (laughs) You know, if we hold a worship service and We invite the president of the United States, and he comes. Will that bring a crowd to church? Oh, you know it would. They would be blocks and blocks of people waiting in line to get into the church. Would they be saved? No. Well, what if Mr. Trump said, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. Would they then follow suit and be crucified with Christ? No. No. This work of crucifixion and this work of coming to Jesus is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. It's not by might, it's not by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. This issue of belief the disciples needed to understand the power of Jesus to raise the dead graphically right there before them. And all unbelief was removed from their hearts. Now they were not going to go through the crucifixion and even the resurrection with a great deal of dignity they all ran Peter denied Jesus and then wept why would he weep because he knew he had sinned against his Lord and his master and he repented he was going to walk in belief with Jesus he was not going to turn aside because of circumstances Hebrews tells us. Who were they who heard and rebelled? This is Hebrews 3, verse 16. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? You see, unbelief leads us back into the wickedness of our own heart and the seduction of Satan, and we disobey. Verse 19, so we see that they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. They could not enter the Cana land because they could not believe the word of God to them. Therefore, chapter 4, verse 1, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. You see, when When Mary saw her brother die, she did not turn against Jesus. She still loved him. She still believed in him. She didn't understand why or what was happening, but she believed in him. And she watched as Jesus called her brother cold and dead for four days, stinking, She saw him call Lazarus out of that grave, and her heart was then forever fixed. She knew. She knew her Savior. She entered his rest. And she walked it out. What made God so angry with the children of Israel was they would not accept the gift of Cana land from him because of their unbelief. Unbelief that he would provide water for them. Unbelief that he would provide food for them. Unbelief that he would deliver them from the powerful armies of Cana land. Unbelief. Unbelief squirreling down into the wickedness of their own hearts. So I declared an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world, for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day God rested from all of his works. And again in the passage above he says, They shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day calling it today. Today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David As the passage already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God is uncovering your heart today. And you must answer the question. Do you or do you not believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? the Messiah who was to come, who died on Calvary and was resurrected on the third day, that his atoning blood would open the door of heaven for you, that the atoning blood would wipe away your sins to wash you clean, that his atoning blood would forgive you and establish you and make you firm in Him. I was raised in a family that kept the seventh day Sabbath. We didn't do any work from sundown Friday night until sundown Saturday night. We would have family worship. We would go to church <clears throat> we would take nature walks we would talk and pray and read the scriptures and then Saturday night at sundown we would have our evening worship it was called a day of rest no work was done no, no farm work was done no gardening was done no mowing of the grass no, no radio was turned on had we had one, there would have been no television on, no. there would have been no cell phone. Everything would have been turned off. We would have waited before God. That was a very precious part of my past. But then reading Hebrews 3 and 4, I finally began to understand that the Sabbath is not one day. God finished his work of creation on the sixth day, and on the seventh day he rested from all of his work. What did he do on the eighth day, the ninth day, the tenth day? He rested. His work was finished. I began to understand something. that Hebrews 3 and 4 calls me to enter into the rest of Jesus Christ. This is not a one-day rest. This is a seven-day-a-week rest. I have some of my family and and friends that are still a part of the Seventh-day Adventist Church and they say to me, Ray, how could you be raised as a Seventh-day Adventist and then not keep the Sabbath holy? And I say to them very kindly, with great love, I do keep the Sabbath day holy. I keep it seven days a week. I rest in Jesus each day. Sabbath, for me, is synonymous with Jesus. Jesus. I enter into Jesus. I place my belief and my trust and my confidence in this man, Jesus Christ. I trust him to save me. I trust him to forgive me. I trust him to baptize me in the Holy Spirit. I trust him to make me the man he wants me to be, to be sanctified through and through. I trust him to be in charge of my life. And so ambition had to be laid on the altar, of burn off dreams and desires that I have. I laid on the altar. I trust Jesus. I trust Him to tell me day by day what to do and where to go and what to say. I trust Jesus. He is my everything. If I could, I would go and pour out the most expensive ointment I could find upon his head. I too would kneel with Mary and kiss his feet. I bow in worship and proclaim him my King and my Lord. The majesty of heaven is the love of my heart. I'm not going to let my heart become hardened. I'm not going to let my heart turn away from the living God. Now, we're almost finished with time for this broadcast, but I want to read this to you. Romans, the 11th chapter. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, you understand, he's talking here about the Jewish people in the olive tree. And he's saying that some of them have been broken off because of the hardness of their heart, because of their unbelief in Jesus. He says, this is the 11th chapter, verse 18. Do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. I don't support myself. I'm supported by Jesus. Do you understand? (laughs) You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature, were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Oh, I praise God today that I, from a wild olive tree, was redeemed by the blood of Jesus, and that he brought me to himself, and he grafted me into him. And now the nourishing sap that flows into my life Financial, health, friendships, meaning, production. All of that results from the flow of that sap nourishing my soul from Jesus Christ. I can do nothing. I can do nothing without him. He must flow in me. He must create reality for me. I don't want to be cut off. And so there's a part of me that walks in fear and trembling before Jesus. There's another part of me that walks with such overwhelming love, such tenderness of heart, such a desire to be filled fully by his presence how are you today are you troubled and heavy burdened are you cynical are you sick and tired of being sick and tired then come to Jesus open the word and begin to read Turn the television off. That's not going to get you to heaven. Turn off the filth of the world. Walk away from it. Cut off the club. Cut off the things of this earth and the things of this world that simply salve your pain but leave you in your wickedness. Turn aside. Come to the lover of your soul. Jesus loves you. Even these Jewish people who had been utterly cut off, he says they can be grafted in again. That it's not hopeless or, or they're not helpless. To return, they can return to Jesus if they choose to, Judas. Oh, his heart was so bitter, so cynical, so angry. He expected Jesus to establish a kingdom that would kick the Romans out, and he expected to have a place of power in the new government. He thought he would control the money of the new government. when his expectations were not met. He became embittered and angry. I've even wondered if the reason he betrayed Jesus was to try to force Jesus to leap from the top of the the temple to prove that he was God. That's what Satan wanted Jesus to do. He said, the angels will bear you up. Jump. I wonder if Nicodemus was watching all of this. I wonder if Joseph of Arimathea was watching all of this. They softened their hearts. And they buried Jesus in a beautiful tomb. How is it that one man will allow his heart to be softened and be grafted into Jesus and another man turns in bitter rage full of ambition, full of himself. How is that? Every one of us get to choose whether we will turn our hearts in rage and anger against this Jesus or whether we will be moved with compassion and love And pour our hearts out before him. I choose to pour my heart out before Jesus. Worship. Lord I love you. I worship you today. I thank you for your kindness and your mercy. Lord please come. For each who is listening to this broadcast. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we're out of time for today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. I'd love to have you come and visit the National Prayer Chapel this Sunday. If you'd like to come, would you call me? My air, my phone number seven o three, four eight nine, one seven eight five. 703-489-1785. That number again, 703-489-1785. Thank you to those who have been so graciously and kindly giving on the webpage on PayPal. Thank you. Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. 2 God bless you I'll talk to you soon to Jesus Christ